Welcome back to Language Stories, a podcast discovering languages around the world and meeting the people who speak them. It's season two. We've flown halfway across the world from the Americas, and now for this season, we're exploring Southeast Asia. I'm Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages, a language-obsessed chica on the constant exploration of languages, no matter where I am in the world. And this episode, welcome to Penang, Malaysia, and, well, lots of other places. Do you speak Chinese? On the surface, it seems like an innocent question. But dig a little deeper and you'll soon learn that Chinese is anything but one language. As I delved into internet rabbit holes, researching places en route and potential language stories, the word Hokkien kept popping up, especially when we got to Penang, Malaysia. And one question in particular kept appearing in the search results I'd come across. Hokkien, language or dialect? Hokkien originated in southern China, and spread to other parts of Asia, such as Penang in Malaysia, Medan in Indonesia, Taiwan and the Philippines. While some consider Hokkien a dialect of Mandarin, others, especially those who care about Hokkien, consider it a language in its own right. Although Hokkien is spread geographically, for this episode we're focusing in particular on Penang Hokkien. We visited Penang during our time in Southeast Asia for season two. However, when I found people to interview, it turned out that no one we'd found to speak with was actually there. It, it is very true. And I didn't even, when I was suggesting the guests, I then realized, hey, all the people that I'm suggesting to you are people who are not there anymore. And I wondered if there's a sense of, you, you know, you feel like the, uh, the importance of the language more when you are not close to it. That's John Ong founder of the Penang Hokkien podcast. We'll hear more from John later, but first, it's time for a trip to London Town. Yes, London Town as in London, England, United Kingdom, Europe, as in London, miles from Penang, Malaysia, London. Simzu Wei is a native Penang Hokkien speaker from Penang, Malaysia, but currently lives in London, which turned out well, as we found quite an interesting connection to Hokkien in an unexpected place. So what's this place? Uh, this place, uh, this place is uh, Greenwich Hospital. Okay. So Greenwich Hospital, uh, it, used, it used to be called Greenwich Hospital because this is the place where um, the, uh, the, the the navy and the retired sailors uh, used to live here. It was built around end of uh, end of the seventeenth century. Okay. Uh, and it was operating up until around mid-19th century. And um, one of the persons born here, his name is Samuel Dyer. Uh-huh. Samuel Dyer. Um, he was born here because his father used to uh, work here okay. as an administrator, as yeah. a secretary. He, he wasn't very religious in the beginning. But in the end, he became a priest. So he was part of London Missionary Society. Uh, so, um, so they have an, uh, a mission to the east called the Ultra Ganges Mission. Samuel Dyer was sent to uh, modern day Malaysia, Malacca, uh, to station there. But when he passed by Penang, 
because when you want to come from the west, you have to go through Penang, the Strait of Malacca, and then you go down to Malacca uh, to, to be there. But when he passed by Penang, he stopped by that area and looked around, and then he started realizing that there was no, uh, like, the, the, the mission there was uh, not really well established. So he decided to stay in Penang. Uh, uh, he, he jotted down, he recorded the, the language, he listened to it, he learned it. And then he uh, started to work with other mission, uh, missionaries around across Southeast Asia uh, to come up with the uh, spelling system. After learning the local Hokkien language, Dyer was responsible for creating a method of printing and writing in Chinese based primarily on his knowledge of Hokkien, which became known as Dyer's Penang font and was used as the primary printing font for Chinese until a number of years after his death. He was also key in continuing to develop the romanization of the language based on work done by previous missionaries. Samuel Dyer wrote, he was one of the reporters about Hokkien because no one knows about Hokkien in the past. Dyer wrote a small number of books about Hokkien, including a vocabulary and even a translation of Aesop's fables. He definitely played a significant role in helping to maintain the use and perhaps even pride of Hokkien. But has this use been maintained to present day? Uh, the, 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 the effect was pretty big because uh, there was quite a sizable population who knows how to, to spell Hokkien in the Roman, Romanized spelling. It was used as a, a, a way to spread information so people would write, write letter, this spelling, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to communicate, to learn things. Even Li Kuan Yu, Li Kuan Yu was a, uh, the, prime, uh, the Prime Minister of Singapore who clamped down on the use of Hokkien, Cantonese, Teochew in Singapore. What in year fate, was this? In 1979. Right, okay. Could you hear the cogs in my brain turning when I asked what year it was? Remember the Singapore episode? You might just have an idea where this one is going. He got in power by persuading the masses to vote for him and his political speech were in Hokkien as well. And ironically, his speech in Hokkien was written in the Romanized Hokkien. He didn't speak the language? He didn't speak it well, not as a native speaker, yeah. but he spoke to the um, he, he spoke to uh, to the extent where you know people can understand very well pretty much quite a good accent as well um, um, in the his political uh, political speech uh, you have to prepare right so you can find actually find his political speech written in Romanized Hokkien uh, it was published in one of his book did he so, he, so presumably he did his speech in English and then in Hokkien? In or? Hokkien, because most Not of the people languages. most of the people spoke Hokkien in Singapore. Is that still the case today and in terms of Chinese population? No, it's died, dying out. The, um, he launched a Speak Mandarin campaign in 1979 and he encouraged parents not to speak Hokkien to their children. Despite doing his speech in Hokkien? In spite, yeah, he persuaded the masses, the Hokkien-speaking people, to vote for him. And he, when he got into power, he killed, them, killed the language. This isn't the only example of Hokkien experiencing this kind of silencing. In Taiwan, what's often referred to as Taiwanese can also be called Taiwanese Hokkien. Many years ago, when Chinese nationalists arrived on the island, 
They confiscated books written in the Romanized version of Hokkien in an attempt to suppress the use of Romanized Taiwanese Hokkien. As use of Mandarin has swept across Chinese-speaking areas of Asia, from Penang to Singapore to Taiwan, Hokkien has undoubtedly suffered. But Hokkien isn't alone. As Mandarin became the dominant language across China and Chinese communities in Asia, Hokkien, Chu-Chu, Cantonese, Shanghainese and others were all increasingly seen as dialects of Mandarin, which isn't quite the truth. Which is not true. Which is not true because they have different branches. They don't belong to the same branch. They're different languages. Um, Does and anyone speak Mandarin as a first language? Only very minor, a small minority in every township. Like every town you have an administrator, right? So the administrator has to communicate with the, 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 uh, the, the, the imperial court in Beijing. So they have to learn a bit of Mandarin so that they can communicate with other townships. But where did it come from though? How did Mandarin become the language that dominated China, the Chinese-speaking world? Because Mandarin was the language of the imperial court. That's right. why the word Mandarin, Mandarin means official. Yeah, it comes from the Portuguese word Mandarin. I'm going to add something here for those of you listening who, like me, love a little bit of etymology, aka where words come from. The Portuguese actually picked up the word Mandarin from Malay, where the word menteri entered via Sanskrit mantrin, meaning counsellor. That little extra etymology education shifts us oh so subtly to the question of education. As we've seen throughout this series, education is often where glimmers of hope lie when it comes to languages not disappearing. So, despite everything, is Hokkien still being taught in schools? We'll find out very soon, but first, a word from our sponsor. Season 2 of Language Stories is sponsored by Lingora, the 100% free online language community where you can share your spoken and written language practice and get feedback totally free. Hop on to elingora.com and sign up. Next, submit an audio or written text in the language you're learning and then wait for the feedback. Last episode, I said I was going to submit a text, right? Well, I did three of them, and I got feedback within minutes. I typed out a few Korean sentences I'd written in my notebook from previous studies. The following two days, I did the same thing, and I've had helpful feedback on each post. Now, rather than hoping I got it right and moving on aimlessly, I know what I need to review to improve my Korean. Also, writing those text posts and replying to the feedback has given me a little boost in my Lingo Rocks total too. I'm up to 110 now. Sign up at elingora.com now and see if you can earn more than my 110 Lingo Rocks today. Thank you to Lingora for sponsoring this season of Language Stories. People used to learn everything in Hokkien, but now you say that Hokkien cannot be used in school. So you are training a training the younger generation to be fluent in, Ho- uh, in Mandarin instead of Hokkien. So the, the educated one become fluent in Mandarin and those who doesn't really like to go to school or 
doesn't really like going to school study or they don't like to study they will eventually uh, they will they will they will they will more inclined to speak Hokkien so you can see this dichotomy the educated one speak Mandarin the uneducated one speak Hokkien is this social divide? Yes, social divide. And then does that Linguistic create an association divide. between the language of being our Hokkien is only spoken by poor and educated poor people? Poor peasant. And then less people want to learn, more people want to learn Mandarin. There's no, there's no way out of that. Or is there yes. a way out? Yes. No, there's no way out because right. education, this is the very primary important domain for a language to survive in modern day. The young, younger ones who, who were educated in Mandarin possibly won't speak the language to their children in the next generation and that is going to kill the language completely. And who can blame them? Why would you want your child to learn a language that you weren't taught in school or even a language that got you punished when you were at school? So it's not taught in schools? It's not, it's not, not only it is not taught in school, it is even banned in school. Now? 2018? Yes! Yes, 2018. And when I was growing up, um, let let me just um, give you a, um, a situation. I I I I went to my, my high school was between 1992 to 1997. And uh, during then, if I spoke a word of Hokkien in the school ground, the uh, prefect we call it the prefect would actually fine us like 20 cents or 50 cents. I can't remember the year of the wow. amount. You can't actually speak Hokkien in the school. That's Ki Hao, a Chinese Malaysian from Penang who co-hosts the Penang Hokkien podcast with John, who we heard from earlier. It struck me throughout all of our interviews for this episode that people are under no illusion. They're not expecting that Hokkien will suddenly spring back into life and gain millions of adoring speakers. Here's Ki Hao again. Uh, if we don't really don't do anything... 10 years later, Hawking may just go into museum. But if we do something about it, probably 20 years. But at the end of the 20 years, it is still going to be gone. When, when the um, older generation today, who are still speaking Hokkien in daily life, pass on, the language will be gone forever. And what would be lost? The culture will be lost. The identity will be lost. And the heritage will be lost. And a lot of uh, interesting knowledge about um, how the city was built, how things were done in the past would actually be lost. And uh, there, are, there are ways to... Even, even some of the games will be lost because they are games that we play in Hokkien. And uh, if we don't speak Hokkien anymore, they are, they are just like sounds to you and you don't even know how to play the game anymore. Mm. So a lot of things are going to be lost. I, I'm not looking at the, 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 the losing part is going, to inf is going to affect the next generation. I would say the adaptation of foreign culture instead is going to change the whole identity of Penang people because today we have a different language, we have a different culture, we have a different identity. But 10 years later, when I go back to Penang to realize that everyone speaks to me in Mandarin and we watch TV series from China. And uh, we are so crazy about Chinese culture from China today. The losing part may not affect any of us, but the gaining part of a foreign culture may influence us in a bigger way. Because we are going to look like everybody else. We are going to sound like everybody else. We are going to be very boring. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's an identity. There's yes. an identity that, that Yeah. It's not it's not the loss of the old identity that makes a difference later. It's the new identity that is going to be very yeah, to, to create a, a huge difference to our culture. Because we are going to look the same like everybody else. So what has led to this situation for Hokkien? We've already covered a rise in the use and prestige of Mandarin and, to a certain extent, English, in politics, society and education. But there's something arguably much bigger that plays an underlying role in all of that. Is Hokkien even a language? Or is it, quote-unquote, just a dialect? John answered my question on this beautifully and honestly. It's sometimes a little bit hard to get into that conversation, especially in a normal conversational. Like, you know, I didn't know it before because I always call it a dialect. You know, growing up, we always call it a dialect. So I wouldn't fault people who are there thinking that it's a dialect because they didn't really know the difference. Not until after I started my shows, like several years into uh, my shows, and I started to get connected with a lot of linguists, that's when they start to tell me the history about it. Now, I am a little bit more luckier because I can ask them because I myself am not a linguist. So I didn't know a lot of stuff. I'm just a user. So I can ask the linguist, and when they tell me, explain to me, why it then got demoted into a dialect, then everything made sense to me. So when I meet my uh, friends who would call that a dialect, I would try to explain to them. It's like, you know what? It's so cool to, to I just recently learned this. And I'll sp- explain to them the history. And the closest thing for them to get it is I was always trying to explain to them, I would always compare it with uh, European countries and European languages. Because I always tell them, if you can imagine if China never got uh, like like unified by the government and made Mandarin an official language, Hokkien would still be a language. It would be like in the Euro- Europe that you can, if, if you can tell people, say, you know, German is just a dialect of English, imagine what the, <laughs> that would cause. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but then we were taught that way because we were, we were not in China on top of that so any either political or just by accident how that is being demoted to a dialect then it's just everything chinese is always just mandarin and everything else is just dialect of mandarin and i think once i take the time to explain that to people most people get it i'm trying to do that on my podcast now because then i have the captured audience because everybody spoke the language and the reason why i'm doing that is because there is a um, people feel that dialect is not as good a it's not a language so it's like it's slightly less on that hierarchy it is language than dialect so now I'm trying to find a good example of of explaining what dialect is and Penang Hokkien and the Hokkien spoken say in China or different parts of the country, so in Indonesia and all that, I would explain to them, Penang Hokkien is a dialect of Hokkien. Yeah. And Hokkien itself, it's a language in China. Then I find that is the best way for me to try to explain to other people so that they are not just being forced down the throat that, no, it's not a dialect, it's a language. 
if mm. I can give them something to latch on to, say, oh, Penang Hokkien is like a, a, a variant of Hokkien that we hear of these various different types of Hokkien, then it's a little bit more acceptable. There's a lot of potential for language shaming when it comes to this sort of stuff. Shaming people and belittling them for not knowing whether something is a language or a dialect, for not knowing how to correctly pronounce or spell something, for assuming something and getting it wrong. Maybe it's human nature, or maybe it's just the internet age filled with keyboard warriors avidly correcting everyone else online. Either way, I found John's answer here refreshing. Hokkien is a language, Penang Hokkien is a dialect. But language or dialect, despite their shared awareness that language death is inevitable, the other common thread between everyone we spoke to is that they're all trying to reignite a passion for Hokkien that perhaps has been lost for some speakers. Sim Zue plays his part with Speak Hokkien campaign, which aims to encourage parents to speak Hokkien with their children. My generation can still speak Hokkien pretty well. We are at um, pretty much a childbearing age. So many, I can see many of my friends who used to speak Hokkien in school and got punished in school. They no longer want to speak Hokkien to their children. So that is the very crucial point in time where language die out. Because when you no longer speak that, that language to your children, your children will not master the language. They probably can understand because older people are speaking in, at home, so they understand it, but they probably won't be able to speak it because there, there was no chance for them to practice the language. Um, so our primary aim at the moment is to tell them to speak the language at home, uh, at, home at least. Uh, we also encourage people to speak the language in the community. Um, to encourage the language uh, to survive in, in the environment outside their home. Because language cannot be just be confined at home. And John and Kihau host the Penang Hokkien podcast. John founded the podcast over 14 years ago and posts a new episode weekly. This is a great chance for them to actually speak the language even though they're spread across the globe. We actually have a Hawken podcast, you know that, because uh, I think you got my contact from John. Yeah. And he's, he has been running it for, I think, 14 years now. 14 years. That, that's why I, I, I get to speak Hawken at least uh, once a month when he is recording all the episodes, like three to four episodes in one go. Uh, we do it on a monthly basis. Every month, at least one of the Saturdays, I get to speak a lot of Hokkien. 14 years is quite a commitment. I asked John what inspired him to start the podcast. There's a certain nostalgia and a very deep um, root, like a belonging. You feel like you belong. It's like it's a very unique feeling deep down. It's part of our heritage and it's part of our identity. So that is the part that really made me realize that made me start my podcast for that particular reason is like I really miss the sound. I came to America when I was 21. So my first 21 years of my life, I've always been in Penang. And Hokkien has always been my my first language. That is something that even though my parents, my mom's side of the family are Teochew, my dad's side of the family is a Hakka. But because Penang is uh, 
a state where most Chinese would speak Hokkien. That's how we grew up. So it's the it's my mother tongue. It's the first language that I hear and the first language that I know how to speak. When I have this idea of doing a podcast, I thought would people listen? Because I thought if our conversations with my friends, my, my personal friends. If it is interesting enough, it to me it's fun, it's interesting, it's nostalgic, it's also very endearing. If I share our conversation, other people might feel the same. So that's when I started thinking deeper about the language. At first, it was pure fun, just chatting, and then there is something unique about that is because my friends. I grew up with speaking Hokkien. It's very difficult to go back and chat with them in a different language.、Mm-hmm. You always go back to speaking to that language because that's how we were hang out when we were, you know, in our high school years. That's what we would speak to each other. And so when we see each other thirty years later, we still go back to that same language. And I remember when I first recorded the several test podcasts, and I would send it to some of. My friends and I say, listen to it. I know I really find this to be funny and really fun to hear all that the all the sound of Penang. Somehow, when it's recorded like a like a show, it sounded really weird. I said that's because you've not heard it. You have not heard a package podcast or a talk show in that language before. I said that's why it's weird because you've never heard it before. And and so there and because at that time I've already realized how wrong I was thinking about how that language is only for the uneducated, <laughs> and I realized that you can be sophisticated still speaking your English and your Mandarin and Hokkien at the same time. You don't have to exclude one language to feel like you're better than others. That's my my misconception, and I was I was definitely guilty of that, and I'm sure a lot of my friends. Uh, were and some might still feel that way. Well, no, I really appreciate you saying that because I think it's very honest. It would be very easy to to say,、oh, "I I never felt that way," you know. But I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's the going away. It's the leaving、mm. Penang, not having that sound that made me realize, "Oh my gosh, I was so totally guilty of that." If you go to a restaurant, somehow, especially into a Western. Restaurant, you would speak English. That is so super weird, and I didn't realize we were doing that. And in hotels, for instance, as well, you go in there and you speak English, even though you know that person that that's helping you can totally speak Hokkien. But you would jump to English because that's kind of like oh, that you have to conduct yourself that way. You have to speak English. So in the restaurants, we would order food. If you go into Western restaurant, you would order food in English. And I didn't realize that until I went back for vacation from America. And then when I was there, I saw this person. And he, she looks like she, just like me, you know, from Penang and all that. I started speaking to her in, in Hokkien, and she was a little taken aback by it because she's like, "You're speaking to me in Hokkien. I'm working, so I have to speak to you in English." I said, "Do you not speak Hokkien?" She said, "Yes, I do speak Hokkien, but I'm working, so I have to speak English." But I said, but I understand Hokkien. I can speak Hokkien, but she would not speak Hokkien back to me. This idea of a social and class divide between Hokkien and Mandarin is a common one, and it's definitely a story we've heard on the podcast before, and definitely a story not unique to Hokkien when it comes to the case of Chinese. If this is something that interests you, definitely check out our episodes. Maya isn't dead. Keeping Kiche. And Guarani in the heart of South America from season one. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to end with one more word from John, 
a core value that perhaps has the power to change the fate of a language, even if only in the short term. When I started the podcast, I do have one thing that was very clear to me, and that is I want to make Hokkien cool again. That was the thing that somehow I just got it because once I realized how uncool I used to think it was, and then I'm away from it for so long, and then I realized, oh my gosh, how stupid I was for thinking that way, I it becomes an identity. So I would say my mission now when I do my podcast is not only to encourage the usage of the language, but I want to make it cool again. I want to make it not the language of the perceived blue collar of the the lower working class. I want to see doctors using that language. I want to see an engineer using that language. I want to see a leader using that language with pride. And hopefully that would change the perception of that language. You've been listening to Language Stories, a podcast by Lindsay's Languages. If you like what we do and you like video, then head on over to our YouTube channel where you can watch the sister video to this podcast episode. You'll see scenes from Penang, including examples of Hokkien, as well as Greenwich Hospital in London, where Samuel Dyer was born. Just search Lindsay Does Languages on YouTube and on our channel, you'll see the playlist for language stories. Special thanks for this episode go to Simzu Wei for meeting with us in London, Check out speakhokkien.org to learn more about Speak Hokkien campaign. John Ong and Ki Hao for speaking with us via Skype. Be sure to take a listen to their Penang Hokkien podcast and see how much you can understand at penanghokkien.com. And of course, thank you to our sponsor for this series, Lingora, a place to share your spoken and written language practice and get feedback completely free. Whoop! Visit elingora.com to sign up for free today. Be sure to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode, as that helps new listeners to find the podcast easier. You write the review and leave the rest to the tech robots. And finally, if you have a language story you'd love to share, or if you know someone that does, get in touch. You can email me at lindsay, that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at doeslanguages.com. That's lindsay at doeslanguages.com. I always love to hear from you. As always, you can follow me in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz, and learn more at lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Until next time, keep learning languages and keep sharing stories. Ta-ta!